0: I did not realize your shirt had little ghosts with wine glasses. Yeah.
1: I it was ran a, for the boo. It The booze. Oh, the booze! <laughs> but like the OOA. was like,
0: Kate, is Matt making you run? Because if he is, we have to have a conversation. I run
1: for my boo. <laughs> he makes me do it every morning.
0: <laughs> Matt just sitting on the porch, like, faster. And you're like running around the neighborhood.
1: Is that good enough, Faith? Is that good enough? Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, let's reel it in. Hey, Misfits, this is Kate. And this is Kevin. Welcome to Horrorwood. <laughs> Now, I
0: do listeners. I like
1: it. I needed a
0: change just from having constant, like, dark brown
1: hair. I'm into it. And
0: I used Manic Panic Amplified Lightning 40 volume.
1: The name alone (laughs) is a winner.
0: (laughs) It burned like a motherfucker, but it looks good. It does look good. I like it. I'm happy. And I had to tone it to like a yellower blonde instead of like a light platinum.
1: I like it. It kind of matches your shirt. It
0: does. Ooh, my voice cracked. <laughs> Kevin, are you, are you growing my up? It's third puberty.
1: <laughs> uh, since we aired the last episode, our Misfit Monday episode, mm. more of you are sending in your stories. Oh my God, I can't
0: wait to read them. And
1: I'm so excited for it. We love it. Keep mm-hmm. sending them. And do it now while we're still kind of new and like most people don't know who we are. Yeah, yeah, So like right now we don't have a ton of listener stories, which means the chances of us reading yours on the pod are Pretty good
0: I mean I would say 99% Yeah 0.9999 nine 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 nine
1: nine nine
0: nine. As long as it's not something that's like You know Illegal
1: Oh or, yeah don't Nothing illegal on your end But if you see other illegal activity Send it in Write about it <laughs> Uh, we do have two new Patronians. Patronians. Uh They are in the Misfit Murderino tier. Yay. We have Melanie Kell. Melanie Kell, this is your shout out. Melanie Kell. Melody, Melanie,
2: Melanie.
1: M
0: E. I don't know how to spell it, so I'm not going to do that. Okay. But Melanie. It was a good first effort.
1: <laughs> and Jessica Trejo. Hey, hey, Jessica hello, Trejo. Hello, Jessica. <sighs> thank you so much. Mm, thank we you. We appreciate your support and we really could not keep doing this without you without guys that. so thank you thank you a ton thank
0: you y'all and also you know if you if you're listening and you enjoy us give us a quick rating and review hey. like we can really use it. it it boosts us up in the podcast realm you know so rate review and subscribe and you know maybe leave a good one i guess <laughs> i mean if you're can, if you're listening i would assume you enjoy our do it if you're not then you know get the fuck out like I don't <laughs> know why you're here <laughs> see ya unless you just like to hate listen to stuff which I think is a weird trait
1: all right this is we're getting we're getting into it now yes uh this is a well-known case mm-hmm. a very well-known case there are a gajillion documentaries on it I've watched them all most of them are mostly accurate you know about this case. i know about it
0: absolutely because i loved the movie waitress yes and i love the musical waitress yes um so i knew about it because of those things
1: okay uh well hopefully i can give you some info that you haven't heard yet yeah. uh but we're talking about adrian shelley today mm. like this year october 31st of 2006 fell on a tuesday and on the evening of Halloween in 2006, Adrian Shelley and her husband, Andy Ostroy, threw a party in their New York City apartment for their two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Sophie. They invited all their friends and their friends' children. All the kids were dressed up in Halloween costumes. Sophie was Cinderella. She was this cute little blonde-haired girl, and she was wearing the blue Cinderella dress, one boy went as Batman. Actually, I think there were a couple of Batman there. Batman? Batman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Batman. I am Batman. I can't What did you place. dress up
0: at that age? Do you remember?
1: I can't even remember what I wore yesterday, so no, I don't remember. I feel
0: like when I was a little kid, I was even like two or three, I remember dressing up as a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. One year, my mom bought me a pumpkin outfit.
1: There was a pumpkin at this party. Oh, yay. Good for <laughs> them.
0: Or a little baby Dracula.
1: That I would love to see photos of if you haven't. I might have some somewhere. Amazing. Adrian was wearing a light-colored button-down shirt with sweatpants, the classic mom who's been preparing for a party all afternoon. Mm. Uh, she's got her blonde hair up and a ponytail. She's talking with the other parents. They're all having a good time. There's also an adult dressed up as Elmo entertaining the kids dream come true if you're a toddler and there's a life-sized Elmo at your party. There were Halloween balloons throughout the home for decoration. And my favorite, a piñata in the shape of a ghost holding a jack-o'-lantern.
2: I wonder
0: what kind of candies were inside that.
1: Is a party even a party without a piñata? I don't think so. It's not.
0: Did you ever have a piñata?
1: I don't think I ever had a piñata at my own party. Yeah,
0: same. But I
1: went to parties and if they had a piñata, it was like, oh my God, are you guys rich?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You can watch home video of this party in the documentary titled Adrian on Max. Oh, okay. Uh, If you have that. It might also be available on Prime, maybe. And if you watch it, you can see just how joyful Adrian is and how much fun they're all having. Mm -hmm. But tragically, less than 24 hours later, Adrian was dead. No, no. Andy found his wife in the bathroom of her Greenwich Village apartment that she used as an office, hanging from a shower curtain rod with a bedsheet tied around her neck. Investigators declared her death a suicide, which left Andy and all their friends reeling. How could someone who seemed so full of joy, someone who loved being a mom and was madly in love with her daughter, how could she kill herself? How could someone bursting with creativity who was waiting to hear whether her latest project, the movie Waitress, which she wrote, directed, and acted in, had been accepted into the prestigious Sundance Film Festival? How could she take her own life? To those who knew her, suicide just didn't seem possible. And they were right. This was no suicide. This was a murder.
0: I forgot that that, you know, her murder was staged to look like Mm -hmm. a suicide and I also will say, you know, like when suicide happens, you never really can fully understand why. So You know what I mean? Like yeah. it happens to like the best of the people we think are doing great. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is why it was. Which
0: is why like, it's so shocking, right? Like.
1: And, and why. Yeah. Why the family members just couldn't. Couldn't
0: comprehend. Couldn't like, comprehend. In any in any situation. Yeah. that Yeah. I get it.
1: But. I mean, they were right. They knew her. They,
0: right. They knew her. In this instance, yeah, they were absolutely right.
1: And this was a horrific murder. But let's start from the beginning. Yes, yes. Adrienne Shelley was born Adrian Lauren Levine on June 24th, 1966 in Queens, New York. Oh, I
0: didn't know she was from New York. Yeah.
1: She was a, of Russian descent. Okay. Uh, but a New Yorker, born and raised. Adrian grew up on Long Island with her two brothers and their parents, Elaine and Sheldon. Even as a kid, Adrian knew what she wanted to do with her life. She began acting in plays when she was in kindergarten, just five years <gasps> kindergarten.
0: old. Kindergarten. I read a poem in kindergarten called "I Think Mice Are Nice."
1: Do you remember it?
0: I think mice are nice that's all i remember that's how it started
1: (laughs) okay that was riveting
0: thanks kate
1: according to adrian's mom guys and dolls was the first musical (gasps) that she did which a five-year-old doing guys and dolls like let's give it up that's amazing the school would put on a play every year and every year adrian was in it when she was around 10 years old she began performing at stage door manor performing arts training center Other notable alumni of this training center include Amy Ryan, Robert Downey Jr., Bryce Dallas Howard, and Natalie Portman, (gasps) to name a few.
0: Damn, that's like A-listers.
1: Not a bad resume for the old stage door.
0: Good job, stage.
1: It was also the inspiration for the 2003 film Camp, (gasps) which was Anna Kendrick's film debut. Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: I haven't seen that movie in forever, but I remember loving it when I saw it because it was just so, like, out of anything I had sort of experience i
1: feel like yeah i mean it came out in 2003 so it's been a minute since i've seen it so adrian was in good company at stage door manor and it definitely helped strengthen her skill set that would put her on the path to success and that skill set included acting dancing playing piano singing she had a voice that really stood out both her singing and her speaking voice were unique Mm. I didn't know she could sing. I didn't know she was a singer.
2: She's a quadruple thrash.
1: She's a lot of things. She (gasps) is multi-talented. Multi-talented. The only way I can think of to describe her voice is... Young, which doesn't really tell you anything. I think it does.
0: I think I understand. I've seen enough musical theater to kind of feel like I understand what that means.
1: Uh, someone characterized her voice as um, being that of like a Disney princess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like very like probably light.
1: Kind of childlike, childlike. almost. Uh, that's a horrible description, but that's the only thing that I can think of to describe it. She was tiny in stature, only about five foot one or five foot two. <sighs> and is often described as looking like a doll. A doll, D-O-L-L, as soon as I said that I was like, not a dog, a doll, just to make that clear. She was this creative powerhouse wrapped in a compact little package. Aww. At Stage Door Manor, the kids put on a show at the end of the program, and there were agents in the audience. And after the show, several agents went up to Adrian's parents and said, hey, your daughter's really talented. She could have a career in the arts. To which her father replied, no way. I will not have my daughter jumping out a window when she's 30. Which is like, oh, my God, up, Sheldon, but OK, Sheldon,
0: pull back, sweetheart. That's that's a really crazy thing to say. It's a
1: lot. Adrienne said her parents were supportive of her participating in the arts. They just didn't take it very seriously. I don't think they saw it as a career path, necessarily.
0: Boo, I roll.
1: She actually said her dad was the biggest creative influence on her life, which is interesting considering it sounds like he didn't want her to pursue it as a career, but... Maybe that's why he was so influential. Maybe she used that to drive her.
0: Or, yeah, or maybe he was just kind of letting her figure it out. Because at that age, they the parents would have had to get into it with an agent, right? right. So maybe that he just wanted her to be able to, like decide and carve her own yeah
1: because she was so young yeah yeah
0: yeah also and then when you like get into that stuff with agents like when you're a kid like it's it's work
1: it's a lot it's
0: a lot of work so we'll do a
1: whole thing on child stars don't you worry oh you better (laughs) adrian was close to both her parents her mom would sometimes act in the skits that she'd write and later appeared in several of adrian's movies and her mom is amazing like she's she's a delight and Adrian and her dad had a shared love of baseball. Being New Yorkers, they were huge Yankees fans. I know that you're like all up on the baseball nowadays. Because I was went- just
0: gonna say, Kay, I'm I love baseball.
1: You now. went to that one game. And I went you- to one game,
0: and I get it. And I'm an expert. You are. That's what everybody in that stadium thinks.
1: They sure do. They were all talking about it. She and her dad would go to baseball games together. (laughs) Sometimes her brother would come. It was just like the thing that they did together. Yes. In an interview with Timothy Reese for Movie Maker Magazine in 1996, she said she's no fair weather fan. She said she cried when Reggie Jackson was traded and wrote letters to the Yankees organization because she was so upset. She had framed pictures of Don Mattingly hanging in her kitchen. These are baseball players, Kevin, just to let you know. I
0: know. I did the same thing.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She had framed pictures of Don Mattingly hanging in her kitchen and was heartbroken when he left the Yankees. So for my non-sports people out there, Don Mattingly was a baseball player turned coach turned manager. And he is the one person that Adrian said left her completely starstruck. Even after her career took off and she was meeting all kinds of famous people, none of them really faced her. But she saw Dawn Mattingly on the street once, about 50 feet away from her, and she said, quote, my knees became weak and I started sweating. That is love.
0: That is love. Have you ever been starstruck like that, Kate?
1: You know what? When I lived in L.A., you... I kind of got desensitized to it. I was going to say,
0: it. yeah, because you're, it's you're kind of in it.
1: Yeah, I will say, Matt and I went to a wedding years ago, and uh, Ty Burrell is that his name oh, from yeah, Modern yeah, Family? Yeah, yeah. Uh, was one of the guests, and he and I sat next to each other at the reception at the dinner, mm-hmm. and I just kept thinking like, I don't want to do or say anything stupid in front of Ty Burrell because mm-hmm. I really like Modern Family mm-hmm. and like he's legit. And then Matt took a bite of a roll and he started choking. God damn it, it, Matt. No, it was so embarrassing. I felt so bad for him. Oh, (laughs) see, I would
0: have been, I would have gotten the secondhand embarrassment and been like, stop it.
1: (laughs) Stop it. You're ruining this for us. Stop it. No, it was, it was embarrassing. And Ty was like, are you okay? He was fine. He's still here, guys. He's okay. When Adrian wasn't at the Yankees games with her dad, like a lot of kids, she spent her summers at sleepaway camp, which she hated. She kept a journal, and in it she wrote, quote, I hate camp. Take me home. Allison is my new nice friend. She hates it here, too. Renee is going home. So am I. So is Allison. I hate camp.
0: I get it. (laughs) Camp is the worst.
1: Especially for a girl at that age, because a lot of changes are happening, and if you're away from home when that change happens, it's scary. It's like,
0: here's an idea. Let's just put you all in the woods and put stress on you. (laughs) So fucking stupid. Find
1: your way out. It was during one of these stints at summer camp, when she was 12 years old, that her father, Sheldon, or Shelly, as he was called died of a massive heart attack at the age of 40.
0: Oh, fuck.
1: His death had a dramatic influence on her life, as you can imagine. Her mom said Adrian went into a funk after he died. She became really quiet and developed a deep fear of dying young. That fear stayed with her her whole life. It also instilled this sense of urgency in her that she didn't have time to waste. Whatever she wanted to do in life, she had to go for it. Mm -hmm. Her quote in her high school yearbook is, don't be afraid of dying, be afraid of never living.
0: Mine was a smiley face. And that's it. And that's it.
1: She adopted her father's name as her last Mm -hmm. name, so professionally she was known as Adrienne Shelley. Oh
0: my God, I had no idea. Yeah,
1: that's where that came from. That's
0: where that came from, so that was her stage name.
1: Mm -hmm. Her first professional gig was in a summer stock production of Annie when she was 15. She was not Annie, she was... One of the little girls. She was one of the oldest orphans, I think she said. Oh, my
0: God. That show is ridiculous. (laughs) One of my first theater jobs, I had to, like, help cast a production of Annie Mm. when I worked in Maine, and the artistic director made me run the, like, girls' casting session, and it was insane. I can only imagine. Oh, my God. And they were all terrified. And so I had to, like, go up to the front of the stage and, like look at them and be like just look at me and sing like I feel okay. like you would be really good at that
1: yeah just look at me
0: because they would freeze up and I'm like
1: oh sing <laughs> sing 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 I'm sure that helps them out a lot and then
0: I got up on stage and auditioned imagine if Annie were like uh, an old 35 year old gay man woman from <laughs> oh, okay.
1: okay I thought that's where you were going
0: well and also what about that what if I played Annie
1: what Can about you- it I think you could I'm ready? sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: I'm in a I listeners. I dropped my coffee this morning. It's raining. I love you. He's having
1: a moment. I'm having
0: a minute. Continue. I, I love this story.
1: In high school, she was the one the teacher would single out to sing a solo. She could play just about anything on the piano by ear. Fuck. According to the documentary I mentioned earlier, she never had any formal training. It was obvious what path she was going to take and knew exactly what she wanted. That same year when she was 15 Adrian got Bell's palsy which left half her face paralyzed oh for God. a month
0: I've seen people with that it looks crazy
1: I've known actually a lot of people surprisingly that have okay. had Bell's palsy It's in
0: it's like a nerve thing isn't yeah, it Yeah
1: it? it can be viral it's it's interesting but it does usually clear up on its own I've heard that Yeah it's it's kind of wild because it seems to be very random
0: Exactly. It's like you don't, people just wake up with it. Yeah. Ugh.
1: So she had it for about a month, but it cleared up and she continued her acting. And by this time, she was starting to write her own stuff as well. When it came time to choose a college, she got into a couple of the really prestigious acting programs in the country. But that was going to be expensive to go far away. And since her mom was paying for it, she told Adrian, no way, and didn't let her go.
0: And also they're in New York, though, right? hmm like there's some good oh, places there,
1: but she ended up going to Boston University. Oh, that's not far. And majored in musical theater journalism. Oh my god,
0: <laughs> that's what I was going to start studying when I went to college. Really? Before theater, yeah, I was going to be a newspaper person.
1: A newspaper person, a journalist.
0: I just I was trying to think of like a synonym.
1: She eventually switched to the broadcasting and film department, and she says she's really grateful for the education she had. She didn't have any bitterness about not getting to go to one of the other schools. However, in an interview with Deirdre Guthrie for the Independent Film and Video Monthly, Adrian said that in college she quote learned nothing. So sorry, Boston University. <laughs> oh my God. Then, in her junior year at BU, Adrian got Bell's palsy again. No. The first time she had it, doctors told her it wouldn't come back. So when it returned, she was a little freaked out. She had to get these cortisone treatments, and she said they left her, quote, deranged and wandering about seeing halos. She said, I'm not sure what was happening to me biochemically, but it was very scary. I told myself then that if this ended, I would quit school and follow my real heart's desire to Manhattan and pursue a career in acting. The Bell's palsy did end, and she called up one of her closest childhood friends, Melissa Kaufman, and said, I think I want to drop out of college and move to New York and become an actress. What do you think? Adrian was really nervous to tell her mom and wanted to run the idea by her friend first. And Melissa said, Well, if that's what you want to do. And of course, Adrian's mom, Elaine, was not too happy when her daughter called her up and told her this. She was like, You have one year left. Are you crazy? But Adrienne was persistent. She said, Ma, I know what I want. It's my calling.
0: Good for her. I feel like a lot of people do not do that. And they feel like they have to continue doing shit. And honestly, like, if something's not working for you, then it's not working. Then it's not working. You don't have to force it.
1: And I think I've said it on here before, but I really don't think college is for everyone.
0: It's not. Yeah, I've definitely said that. And it's so interesting. I feel like I came from a family where college is the ultimate goal and mm. the ultimate like topper for you having uh, a good life
1: oh interesting I think
0: it's like that boom it's like a boomer mentality I was gonna say I think it's like, it's
1: like ingrained right because
0: they their gen that generation like didn't have all of that opportunity so right. college to them was just like this is the end-all be-all all right. like education and how your life is gonna go and now it's just not the case
1: today. and I think for women women didn't didn't always have the opportunity to go to school. So I do understand that. But also, let's maybe not make it thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and put people in debt for decades. Anyway.
0: I just had to make my first student loan payment since the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, yeah. There goes my extra income.
1: Bye. (laughs) So Adrian. Dropped out and moved to Manhattan. She got an apartment with another actor and two strippers, like you do. That's
0: amazing.
1: And she started pounding the pavement. She got an acting coach. She submitted for every audition out there. And she was figuring out life as a woman in her early 20s on her own in New York. One day, she and her actor roommate got a copy of Backstage, which is a trade publication that lists all the auditions in the city. And they sent their headshots to every single one that even remotely applied to them. They sent hundreds of headshots out. That's expensive. Oh, tell me about it. One of the ones Adrian sent out was to a producer who was casting music videos. She did not get called in for the music video. But a man in that same office was casting for his upcoming film and looking for his female lead. And someone held up Adrian's picture and said, what about her? She was called into audition, and after about three rounds of auditions, like they kept bringing her back and bringing her back, Adrian landed the female lead role of Audrey in Hal Hartley's first feature film, "The Unbelievable Truth," which became a cult classic. really I've never
0: heard or seen it
1: yeah Adrian's mom was a little skeptical because Hal was this unknown director at the time. The film had practically no budget. It was shot in 12 days in houses that belonged to his relatives. They even slept in those houses at night. And Adrian shared a room with a woman in charge of wardrobe and the makeup artist. So I'm sure her mom was like, "I think you're going to get kidnapped. I think this is
0: probably, I mean, shady situations. Like, El- that could not be good."
1: Elaine did think that this was like the end of Adrian. She was going to be taken away. And she was like, What have you gotten yourself into? You're doing what? For no money? Oh my god, it's a front. They're gonna kidnap you. Like she had a lot of fear. But Adrien loved it. She loved independent filmmaking because the people that work in independent film really want to be there. They're there because they love it, not because of the paycheck. Mm-hmm. Because you're not getting paid. Not much at independent all. Independent film. The Unbelievable Truth was selected into the Toronto International Film Festival, where it was a huge hit. Good. It was nominated for Best Feature at the Chicago International Film Festival, as well as the Grand Jury Prize for Dramatic Feature in the Sundance Film Festival. I forgot
0: that there's like a Chicago Film Festival. Oh yeah, it's happening have now. Have you ever been?
1: I've been, uh, I have been. It's been a couple, it's been a few years though I've since I went. I've
0: been. I think that would be fun.
1: Yeah. And this started Adrian on her path of becoming a darling of the independent film scene. Uh, Miramax bought the rights to the film.
2: Hmm.
1: Miramax was co-founded by Harvey Weinstein. No, we'll do a whole episode on his fuckery at some Ma- point.
0: <laughs> his fuckery.
1: Weinstein wanted Hal Hartley to recut the film because he wanted Adrian to be nude at various points in the movie, because he's a sleaze bucket. But Hal stood his ground Good. and told Weinstein, fuck no, fuck not going to happen. And I doubt Adrian would have even done the film had there been nudity because that's just not what she was about. But she learned very quickly what the industry was going to expect from her and she didn't like it. She starred in Hal's next feature, which was called Trust, that was also nominated for the Grand Jury Prize for Dramatic Feature at Sundance. And by this point, she was a star. In 1991, Screen World included her on its list of the 12 most promising actors, alongside Marissa Tomei and some guy named Brad Pitt. Damn. The offers started pouring in. Success happened very quickly for her, and she was pretty overwhelmed by all of it, and a little scared of it. Suddenly, she's on magazine covers, and she's invited to these industry parties, and honestly, she just wasn't interested in that part of the business. I think she saw herself as an artist, not a movie star. They are different. She made several more movies. <laughs> that was
0: amazing. They are different.
1: <laughs> she made several more movies, but wasn't thrilled with them. Filmmakers had a tendency to want to showcase her as a sex pot, and that's just not who she God was. Damn. yeah. She had a lot of self-respect and didn't like how the industry treated women. So she decided to start her own theater company. She produced it herself. She asked her actor friends to join. And they created a series of one acts. Each company member wrote their own one act play. I'm not sure how the director of each was chosen, but the writers did not direct it themselves, nor did they cast it themselves. So on the night of their staged reading, there were going to be a lot of industry people in the audience, some pretty big names. And Adrienne was freaking out because she felt the person directing her piece didn't understand her play, and she felt it was miscast. So she did what she often did. She journaled about it. And in her journal entry, she asked herself, what have we learned here? Write it and direct it yourself. You're too much of a control freak. Embrace the fact that you are a control freak and control. Mm. I think that shows not only how self-aware she was, but Mm. also how confident she always knew exactly what she wanted. Yeah. She described herself as being shy and quiet when she was a kid. The stage was the one place she felt she could let it all go, mm. which you hear that a lot, a lot. with a lot of it's actors. Like a release. Friends of hers described her as being fiercely loyal in her friendships, but when it came to her creative side, she was kind of an introvert. She would hole up in her apartment for several days at a time writing. She took her work very seriously, and she knew how to discipline herself to accomplish what she wanted to get done. She wasn't going out to industry parties, which are basically just held for people to smooze schmooze each other. In, smooch. Smooze, smooch it. Smooze each other anyway and try to get jobs. Yeah. She was in her apartment in the West Village of New York, planning out her scripts, creating her characters, and essentially creating her own jobs. There's a funny part in the Adrian documentary where a friend of hers recalls taking food to her during one of these times when she stayed in her apartment writing for days. And the friend knocks on her door and Adrian opens it just a little bit and kind of peeks her head through. But she wouldn't let the friend in because apparently Adrian was notorious for being super messy. All her friends commented on it. She wouldn't let them into her room growing up because it was a mess. Her husband, Annie, kind of laughs when someone asks him, you know, she was a little sloppy. And he's like, is that a serious question? Oh, my God. When they started dating, she wouldn't even let him over to her apartment because it was a wreck. But you know they say messiness is a trait a lot of creative people have in common, which I think is just what I need to keep reminding Matt about and be like, the reason my mail is still sitting on the counter three days unopened. I'm an artist. You're an artist, Kate. (sighs) Do not disrupt my process. Adrian also had a habit of buying items from secondhand shops, collecting them, I should say. With a plan to sell them on eBay, she was always thinking she'd have multiple lamps and home goods and knickknacks piled high all over the place in addition to her own clutter. And in in the midst of all of this, she's writing screenplays. So she's just like (laughs) doing it all.
0: Oh, my God. I don't understand. I don't know how people could do that. It's just like one thing after another constantly like doing everything in between other things.
1: Yeah, yeah. (sighs) She seemed pretty good at it. Good for
0: her. Adrian that's
1: talent. Adrian wrote and directed a short film before writing and directing her first feature, Sudden Manhattan, in which she also starred. She was worried about getting funding for her film because the money just wasn't, wasn't coming there, in. Yeah. She didn't have backing and her friend Nina Bieber, I think that's how you say it, was like, don't worry about it. It's your first screenplay. It could take years. Maybe the next one will get made. And Adrian said to her, I don't have that kind of time.
0: That's spooky Almost Kate Mm -hmm. You know what I mean I know she was terrified Because her father Passed away At a young age But Knowing where this goes It's like Fuck
1: Yeah There was always That sense of urgency In her That fear of dying young That need to do What she wanted now And to not wait she was really smart in how she wrote Set in Manhattan. She wrote it knowing she'd need to keep it small so mm-hmm. it could be done with little money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She used just a few locations, only a couple of recurring characters, and a lot of street scenes because she knew those could be shot quickly without a big setup. Like, guerrilla style, like, let's go shoot it. Okay, let's right go to the next block. The yeah,
0: Love that.
1: She did a public reading at New Yorican Poets Cafe, which was a place known for talent scouts and new screenwriters hoping to get some attention. And the day after the reading, Adrian had more than 20 calls from interested producers.
0: Holy shit! She, Good for her!
1: She ended up partnering with Marcia Kirkley, who had just left a film company to start her own production company, Homegrown Pictures. They went into production, but it was not smooth sailing. Three Fuck. weeks before they were to start shooting, her cinematographer quit to take a higher-paying job. A week later, Adrian got a horrific stomach virus that landed her in the hospital. Then in the post-production process, she broke up with her boyfriend, so her personal life was crumbling. Shambles. <laughs> and, Jesus. and while she was at work editing the film, some asshole broke into her apartment and robbed the place. Mm. She said they completely cleaned her out. Things didn't get easier after the film was released. While there were some favorable reviews, there was one that absolutely devastated her. I think I found the one that's being referred to. It was in TV Guide. It just rips her to shreds. It's awful. And her friends questioned if the same thing would have been said about a man. She had a rough time with it, but she kept going. She kept writing and she kept making movies. And what became her sort of trademark was finding the humor in what's painful. And she used that tactic a lot in her personal life. She had a lot of bad relationships with men. A lot of guys thought because of her look, I mean, she was tiny, her childlike voice, guys saw her as someone they could control. Ew. And so when they realized, oh, here's this incredibly intelligent, powerful, strong woman, they didn't know what to do with that. So those relationships ultimately didn't work out. But she deeply wanted a partner and she wanted a family. Then 9-11 happened. And she was living in New York City. She was right in the middle of all of that. And right after 9-11, she thought, I can't wait. I want to find someone. Life is too short. So she decided to try online dating. Mm -hmm. She went on Match.com, but she was embarrassed about it. She didn't want anyone to know. She liked One guy's profile, just one. She clicked on that guy's picture, and that guy was Andy Ostroy. They hit it off, but when people asked how they met, she would always make up a story. She told one friend she met him when he was volunteering downtown in the cleanup of 9 11. She told another friend she met him at a political conference. Someone else (laughs) said that they met through mutual friends. Oh my God. But there was one friend of hers who knew the truth. And he was like, girl, that's how people do it these days. Like, there's no shame.
0: My dad used to do a lot of online dating when it was, like, first, Mm -hmm. like, a big thing. And I remember he signed up for eHarmony, which I think is, like, the Christian one. I think so. But at the time, you had to fill out a profile and it would match you with people. Okay. Like, based on everything that you filled out. And sorry, I love this because I don't like my dad that much, but he um, he uh, he got results that they were like, "You're in the .001 of people that we can't find anyone for." Oh. So sorry, bye.
1: Oh, that's rough.
0: I know. It was. F-
1: he is smiling. So- <laughs> everyone,
0: isn't that crazy, y'all? It is. He-
1: Adrian told Andy we're going to go on a five minute date. Mm. And he was like, how does that work?
2: Five minute date.
1: And she said, we show up. I look at you. You look at me. We talk for five minutes. We hate each other. What's the point of staying? That five minute date turned into a five hour conversation. Adrian had made a list of the qualities she was looking for in a guy. Number one, he had to be smart, at least as smart as she was. He had to have an interest in the arts, but not be an actor. He needed a great sense of humor, and she wanted him to be at least as successful as she was and not be threatened by her success. Mm -hmm. There were several other qualities on her list, but those were the biggies for her. Andy was a divorced dad of three. Mm -hmm. He'd been married twice before. She did not have that on her list, but he was it for her. The following summer, Adrian and Andy- I mean,
0: that's good. I I, I get, like, looking for certain qualities in sure. people, but, like, when it comes to check boxes, it's always a little bit more nuanced yeah. than that. So good for her for, like, not, you know, using that as something negative.
1: Yeah. The following summer, Adrian and Andy went to Paris, and he proposed- Paris! And- oh!
0: Fuck that place. Remember Paris? We had that long conversation. Oh, because you hate the French? I- no, okay. Parisians. Oh, Parisians. Specifically, specifically Parisians. I didn't yeah. It creeps back in uh, every time.
1: And then they sat on some steps facing the Eiffel Tower and planned out the wedding. Love. They married just a few months later on December 21st, 2002. There is footage of their wedding in that documentary. She wrote her own vows, obviously, and told him, quote, This is the mad, crazy love affair I have waited for my whole life and she called his kids an extra blessing to her. In 2003, and Adrian and Andy found out they were going to have a baby of their own. And when Adrian was 8 months pregnant, she wrote a screenplay that was really a love letter to her daughter. That screenplay was for the movie Waitress.
0: such a good movie. It is.
1: It's about a woman who finds out she's pregnant and is worried that she's going to become less of herself once the baby is born. Very real fears that Adrienne herself was feeling at the time. But of course, once the baby is born, there's this love that kicks in that changes her in the most positive way. And it's a film about the search for happiness and the friendship between women. Carrie Russell plays the lead, and Cheryl Hines and Adrienne play supporting characters. Adrienne rehearsed her lines with Andy. There's footage of this in Andy's home videos. And she has a line in that movie about going on a five-minute date, which is a fun callback to her and Andy's Andy's first date.
0: date. That's cute.
1: Once filming began, Adrienne cast her family in the film. Her mom, Elaine, is in it as one of the women in the pie contest. I think I mentioned it earlier. Her mom is in several of her films. Andy is in it. His character is listed simply as Cake Man. And their daughter, Sophie, is in the film. Sophie plays Jenna's, which is Carrie Russell's Mm -hmm. character, uh, plays her daughter as a toddler. And at the end of the movie, there's a scene where Carrie Russell is carrying Sophie. They walk out of the pie cafe along with Cheryl Hines and Adrian. And Cheryl and Adrian are standing at the front of the cafe watching Carrie as she walks down the road holding Sophie. And Sophie says bye and waves to them as they start to walk away. And once you know what happens to Adrian and how her life was cut short... That scene becomes that much more poignant because mm. it's literally Sophie waving goodbye to her mom. Carrie Russell said that when they were filming that scene, Sophie was fixated on Adrian. She would not look away. And Adrian had to eventually hide behind a bush, I think it was, so that they could get the shot because Sophie just wanted her mom. Yeah. Adrian knew that what she had with Waitress was something special and she knew if she could get it into Sundance where people would actually see it, it could really be big. Mm-hmm. She submitted the film to the festival and waited. On Halloween 2006, Adrian knew she should be hearing very soon whether or not Waitress had been accepted to screen at Sundance. That evening, she was joking around with her producer, Michael Royf. I'm not sure if it was a conversation they had over the phone or if he was at that Halloween party that she and Andy threw at their apartment. Because remember, October 31st, 2006, was a really happy night for Adrienne and her family. They had Elmo. They had a piñata. They were having a great time. Adrienne joked with her producer that maybe they should send the Sundance judges some pies. She said, do you think they should be making this decision on an empty stomach? And The mm-hmm. next morning, Adrian and Andy got to spend a little more time together than usual. I think maybe he didn't have to go to his office until a little later, perhaps. So they got to have a few extra moments together than they normally would have. That's nice. Then around 9:15 a.m., a- Andy gave Adrian a ride to the West Village apartment where she once lived, which she now used as an office. She had kept it even after she married, so that she would have a private space where she could go and work. Mm-hmm. He watched her walk into the building, and then he drove on to work. He had no clue that would be the last time that he would mm-hmm. see her alive. God damn it. He tried contacting her throughout the day, but he couldn't get a hold of her. She wasn't answering her phone or responding to his text. He tried emailing, but didn't get a reply. That was highly unusual. Even more alarming was that their babysitter hadn't heard from her. It was very out of character for Adrian, and Andy knew something was wrong. After work, Andy and his friend Brian were scheduled to go do some kind of event together. Mm -hmm. I think it was a work event, and Andy told him something's not right. Before we go to this event, we need to check on her. I just I have a bad feeling. Andy was a nervous wreck on the drive from his office to Adrian's. And Brian was trying to calm him, calm him down by coming up with possible reasons why he hadn't heard from her. Probably like, maybe she's in the zone with the writing and is ignoring the calls. Or maybe she went to a coffee shop instead, just trying to ease Andy's fears. But Andy knew that wasn't Adrian. She wouldn't just ignore his calls and not check in with the babysitter. <laughs> Andy and Brian arrived at Adrian's building at 15 Abingdon Square. Brian waited in the car while Andy went to go check on his wife. When he dialed her on the intercom, she didn't answer. The doorman led him into the building, and he made his way up to the fourth floor to apartment 47, Adrian's office. He banged on the door, called out her name, but she didn't answer. He could tell things weren't right. For one, the door to her apartment wasn't locked. When he tried the doorknob, it opened right up.
0: Oh, that's a bad sign.
1: When he walked inside, everything was still, with the exception of the TV. It was turned on a CNN at low volume. Mm-hmm. Andy said he immediately felt an evil presence when he walked into that apartment. Mm-hmm. Nothing seemed disturbed. Nothing seemed out of place. But there was also no sign of Adrian. Until he reached the bathroom. There, he found his wife hanging by a sheet from the shower curtain rod. He immediately called Brian, who was waiting down in the car, and he said, Get up here. Adrian's dead. For a husband to discover his wife like that... I can't even
0: imagine what that's like.
1: That's an image you can't get out of your head. Like, he's always going to have that. always
0: have that. Oh, my God.
1: He said in the documentary, quote... I wasn't supposed to find her like this. Mm -hmm. I was going to show up and she was going to be standing outside talking on the phone or something. And she would apologize like, oh, Andy, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. That's what he was hoping for anyway when he drove over there. He called the police. At that point, it was about 545 p.m. When they arrived, they determined by the degree that rigor mortis had set in, she had been dead for at least five or six hours, which would put her time of death around noon or earlier. Mm -hmm. There was no sign of forced entry. Mm-hmm. Officers were quick to declare Adrian's death a suicide. However, Detective John Cantone, one of the first to arrive at the scene, noted that Adrian had marks on her forehead and cheek, and he felt something was off. Yeah. An autopsy conducted the following day listed her cause of death as compression to the neck, which could be consistent with hanging.
0: But also strangulation.
1: Exactly. The press jumped on this. News outlets were reporting her death as a suicide. Papers were running headlines like suicide stunner, film star suicide, Adrian Shelley hanged herself. This really pissed off her friends and family. Yeah. They
0: Fucking knew there was outlets.
1: They knew there was no way Adrian would ever leave her family and Andy did not want Sophie growing up thinking her mom had left her. Right. The police had questioned him for hours, asking things like, was she depressed? Were there any signs? Was she suicidal? And he was like, no. And he said there was also no suicide note. It just didn't make sense. After he saw the headline in the New York Post that she had hanged herself, he called the police station. It was Friday, November third. He asked to speak with a detective, but they told him that detective was gone for the weekend. So Andy said, all right, well, let me talk to someone else that's working on her case. And they told him, there's no one else working on your wife's case. Oh,
0: my God.
1: They said, I know you don't want to hear this, but this was a suicide. Shut the fuck up. That evening, Andy went on the local news and said, my wife did not kill herself. And our daughter needs to grow up knowing the truth. Mm -hmm. The next day, everything changed. Detective Jimmy Pichione called Andy and asked him to come down to the station to talk. Detective Piccione showed Andy a picture of the knot that was used to tie the sheet to the shower curtain rod. It was a very specific, very intricate type of knot. And the detective asked Andy if Adrian knew anything about tying knots like that. And Andy said, No, do you? He was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and it was this knot that the detective just couldn't get out of his head. Mm-hmm. That same day, Andy hired Dr. Michael Baden, 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 I've heard it different ways to conduct a second autopsy if that name sounds familiar to you it's because dr badden is the same forensic pathologist that marlon brando hired to examine dag drolet who was shot by marlon's son christian
0: oh shit
1: go listen to our two-parter on the murder at Call marlon brando's back. house yeah let's just talk about dr badden for a minute he was the chief emmy for new york city between 1978 and 79 but was fired from that job by mayor of New York City, Ed Cook, due to complaints of, quote, sloppy record-keeping, poor judgment, and a lack of cooperation, according to the New York Times. And my bad, it's pronounced Ed Koch, not Ed Cook. Baden sued for wrongful termination and won. He had seemingly always been controversial and is known for often contradicting the findings of local authorities, He has also worked on a lot of high-profile cases, and some suggest that he is perhaps drawn to the attention that that garners. Sounds like Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) He testified on behalf of O.J. Simpson, but later Uh disowned claims that he made in court. He basically tried to say that Ron Goldman had fought for 10 minutes after having his jugular vein severed because that would help support O.J. Simpson's alibi time-wise, He later denied ever saying that, and when he was shown video of himself making that claim, he disowned it and said he misunderstood the question.
0: Uh, yeah, right. I don't—this guy just sounds like you can probably sway him in whatever way that you need to. Mm -hmm.
1: He also testified on behalf of Phil Spector in his murder trial, and tried to present an an alternate theory of how the victim's blood ended up on Phil's jacket— when the prosecution asked Baden if he had any conflicts of interest in the case, he said no. But it was revealed later that his wife was one of Phil Spector's main defense attorneys. Oh shit! He's been a part of several other high-profile cases. Those are just a couple. As well as the series Autopsy that aired on HBO years ago. He's the guy people hire when they don't like what the police or county coroner have to say about a case. He's very controversial but when people are feeling desperate, he's who they turn to.
0: And I'm sure he tells them what they want to hear in exchange for like a nice chunk of change.
1: The last film in HBO's autopsy series aired in 2006, the year Adrian died, so my guess is Andy knew him from that, mm-hmm. and he hired him to look into Adrian's case. Dr. Badden conducted Adrian's autopsy under the watch of two detectives and did find evidence of a struggle bruising to her face, mostly on the left side, as well as her forehead, along with injuries to her hands. For Andy, this was the proof he needed that she did not take her own life. Baden came through for him in the way that he had hoped. So, in this case, his involvement was positive.
0: Sure, but the detective who... Exactly.
1: Had already seen those marks on her. So, I don't know that he really presented any new evidence. No. But... I think his findings supported the... Reinforced those.
0: Okay, sure.
1: Detectives went back to the crime scene to look for more evidence, and they looked again at that knot used on the sheet. And while in the bathroom taking photographs, Detective Cantone noticed a very faint outline of a shoe on top of the toilet lid. To try to get a better view of this shoe print, he used magnet powder, which is small magnetic flakes that adhere to anything sticky. So when it's brushed over a print, it helps to define what's there. Once he brushed the magnet powder onto the lid, it showed a more distinct shoe print. Officers also removed the toilet lid itself and took it into evidence. Adrian was not wearing shoes when she was found. Her shoes were in the living room, and the bottom of them did not match the prints they found on the toilet. Mm-hmm. The print also didn't match any of Andy's shoes because the detectives did check those. Detectives then had all the officers and EMS responders that had been in that apartment to re- return so that they could examine their shoes because they had to rule out this being the shoe print of someone trying to cut Adrian down to mm-hmm. save her or examine her. They didn't find a match. Investigators knew the shoe was a sneaker, so they visited nearby sporting goods and shoe stores The print had two distinct circles on it, one at the ball of the foot and one at the heel. I'm going to post a picture. It was a specific design. So they compared it to the sneakers found at these shoe stores. And from that, they were able to determine it was a size 8 Reebok men's shoe Allen Iverson style. Alan Iverson was a basketball player and had this shoe deal with Reebok. So Reebok had a line of Allen Iverson's, this particular shoe design. It was a popular model that was sold all over the city. Sure. The shoe was their only real lead, but because of how common it was, it could belong to anybody. So detectives take a closer look at Adrian's friends and family, which of course included her husband, Andy. Andy was never a suspect. His alibi checked out. Andy is a hero in this story. He had absolutely nothing to do with her death, so I just want to put that out there. They looked at Adrian's colleagues and learned there was a screenwriter that had been harassing Adrian to read his screenplay, and she wasn't interested. They looked into him, but turns out he was out of the country when she died. Investigators go back to the crime scene to try to uncover who has access to the building, who might have had access to Adrian's apartment. Right. Standing outside of apartment 47, Detective Piccione happened to notice a bit of dust on the floor in the hallway. Not just regular old dust, like the hallway needed to be vacuumed. It was like sawdust from construction. So he asked the super or building manager or whomever if there was construction happening in the building. Mm -hmm. And the manager said, yes, in apartment 37, just below this one. Oh, shit. The detective goes down to number 37, Mm -hmm. and the door was ajar, so he goes in hoping to talk with the workers. But it was Sunday, so no one was there. there. Damn it. However, there was construction paper laid out on the floor, like the big brown craft paper that they tape down so they don't damage the floors while they're working. And on the paper, Detective Piccione spots a shoe print. Oh shit! Identical to the one found on Adrian's (gasps) toilet. Fuck. He calls other officers in and they cut out that piece of construction paper and take it into evidence. Mm-hmm. Detectives contacted the construction company and got the contact information for the foreman for that job, a man named Wilson Pilco. They go to Wilson's apartment in Brooklyn. Wilson answers the door. And right there in the entryway is a backpack on the floor with a Reebok sneaker sticking out of it. Uh,
0: the shoes.
1: The detectives are like, hey, mind if we take a look at those sneakers?
0: They're like, are those size 8 Reebok uh, Larsling, whatever that guy's name was? Alan Iverson. Allen Iverson's.
1: <laughs> and Wilson's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Officers pull the shoe out of the backpack. It's a men's Reebok, size 8, Alan Iverson style. The detectives ask Wilson, hey, is that your shoe? And he says, no, it's my brother's. And he's like, hey, Diego, come here. So here comes 19-year-old Diego Pilco,
0: 19.
1: Who also lives in this apartment. And the officers ask if he's willing to come down to the police station. They just want to talk to him. And he agrees. Detectives were able to get a search warrant, search warrant for the shoes so they could be taken into evidence. Yeah. And they sent the shoes to a crime lab to determine if the shoe was the same one that made the print on the toilet. And no surprise here, it It was was a match.
0: Fuck.
1: When police questioned Diego, he said, yeah, I was working in that building on November 1st. They showed him a picture of Adrian, and he said he'd never seen her before. He said he'd never been in apartment 47. They knew that was a lie because of the match of the shoe Right, He was there. So they're like, huh, wonder what else he's lying about. Detective Irma Rivera Duffy was one of the lead detectives on the case, and she was sitting across the table from him during this interrogation. She notices that Diego is holding a prayer card, and he keeps rubbing his thumb over it. So she starts asking him about his family, his religion, asks him if he has any kids, he says no. She asks if he has any nieces or nephews, and he said yeah. So she had him name each one and tell her how old they were. The last one he named was his niece, Tiffany, who was about two years old at the time. I've heard different ages of her, too. I've heard four. Mm. And Detective Rivera Duffy tells him, you know, the woman that died had a daughter about Tiffany's age. And then she said, sometimes when we do something wrong, God doesn't punish us. He punishes our loved ones. And at that, Diego confessed. (sighs) He said, "Okay, I did it. They had their confession, which was great, but finding out his motive was a bit harder because Diego was not a very truthful man. He told investigators that on November 1st, Adrian had come downstairs to apartment 37 to complain about the construction noise, calling Diego a son of a bitch and slapping him in the face.
0: Wait, who did he say did that, Andy?
1: Diego said Adrian did that. Adrian came down and did that, yeah, I don't think so. He said she then threatened to call the police, which worried him because he was in the country illegally and he was afraid he'd be deported. Mm -hmm. He then followed Adrian back up to her apartment and begged her not to report him. But when she picked up the phone, he said it triggered something in him and he hit her, knocking her to the ground. He thought he had killed her, so he tried to make it look like a suicide. He told investigators he got the idea to make it look like a suicide from something he saw on a telenovela Ecuador. And then he just went about his day thinking he had gotten away with murder. Not only had he murdered her, but he's trying to blame it on her. She started the argument. She called him names. She slapped him. Then on top of that, he tried to make it look like she took her own life so that her husband, her daughter, her friends and family would all have to live thinking Adrian had chosen to leave them. 95% of the story he told investigators is a complete fabrication. Really? Adrian never complained about the noise. She never called him any names. She didn't slap him. And detectives were able to determine by the lack of construction dust on her shoes that she never even went down to apartment 37. But the press had picked up the story and printed it.
0: The press needs to calm their tits. Like, fucking... Chill out, you stupid bitches.
1: Sit down, New York Daily News. Take a
0: seat. Take several seats.
1: The New York Daily News ran an article that painted her in a negative light. It made Diego out to seem like he was this peaceful worker and that Adrian was using his immigration status as a weapon against him.
0: So the newspaper thought that it was okay that she got killed because...
1: They weren't saying that, but well, they definitely like but it. they definitely paint Diego out to be like this innocent kid. Oh, no,
0: shut the fuck up. Not you, Kate, them.
1: To make matters even worse, just three months after she was killed, Law & Order aired an episode titled Melting Pot, which used her murder as its plot. Like the press, it painted her in a negative light, making it look no. like she had threatened to report her intruder's immigration status. Adrienne had once guest starred on Law and Order, so to have them then use her death in that way felt like a low blow to her I mean, it's actually
0: pretty fucking disgusting. Like, that's really gross. Three months, and Mm -hmm. it's not, like, the case isn't closed.
1: And the way that they portray it is not, it's fictional, obviously, and they do, like, so many twists and turns. Right, right, right. But that's definitely the case that is used for that episode because, you know, law and order is all about ripped from the yeah, headlines. Yeah, ripped from the
0: headlines. But maybe give it some time.
1: Diego Pilco was in the country illegally. He grew up on a farm in Ecuador mm-hmm. where he learned how to make knots to tie up hogs. Mm-hmm. He came to the United States in hopes of a better life where he planned to work and send money back to his family. He owed somewhere between $12,000 and $13,500 to the people that helped smuggle him into the country. So he worked with his brother in construction, and to supplement that income, he robbed the apartments in the buildings where he worked, which is exactly what he was trying to do to Adrian that day. November 6th, the day Diego was arrested for murder, was the same day it was announced that Waitress had been accepted into the Sundance Film Festival.
0: Oh my god.
1: Diego agreed to a plea deal. He pled guilty to manslaughter in the first degree, which is less severe than first degree murder. He was sentenced to just 25 years in prison without the possibility of parole. At the time, Andy felt satisfied with that sentence, although in court he did tell Diego, quote, you deserve no mercy. I want you to rot in that cell. I will spend the rest of my days hating you with every fiber of my being for what you have done.
0: Finally, someone who's not, I forgive you, which you don't have to do.
1: Two years after Adrian's death, Andy filed a lawsuit against Bradford General Contractors, the company that hired Diego, stating she would still be alive if the company had done their due diligence in the screening, hiring, training, and supervision of their employees. The suit also claimed Pilco might have been trying to protect that company by stopping Adrian from blowing the whistle on the fact that it was hiring undocumented workers. Here's the thing.
0: I was going to say, I'm a little like, I don't know. You and
1: I that. are on the same page. Diego's immigration status did not cause him to commit no. murder. There are plenty of undocumented workers who are in this country trying to make money exactly. and make a better life from, for themselves yeah. than the one that they escaped from. That doesn't automatically lead to murder. Also, there's no way Adrian would have known if that he was an illegal immigrant. Right. Like, There's no way of knowing that. She didn't know this person. The judge in the case agreed and threw out the lawsuit. Okay, agreed with what we're saying. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. Justice Lewis York said, while this court sympathizes with Ostroy's loss, plaintiffs have not presented sufficient legal grounds upon which to hold Bradford general contractors liable for Pilco's vicious crime. There was no proximate cause between Pilco's undocumented status and the crime to be committed. And the thing is, had there been an extensive criminal background check on Diego, they wouldn't have found anything. Right.
0: Because... How would they know?
1: He'd never been in trouble with the law before. He'd never committed a violent crime. Mm -hmm. And everyone that knew him spoke of how he was just a peaceful teenage kid, never aggressive, very responsible. Which makes the whole thing that much scarier because it's like, how do you jump from petty theft of like seeing if an apartment door is open and trying to grab some cash really quick just to help your family out with money? How do you go from that to murder? And then covering it up to make the victim look like she's the one at fault.
0: Right. That's a big jump. But also, like, was he robbing her place and she was home? Yeah, we're going to talk oh, about exactly talk, okay, what happened. Okay, okay.
1: In February of 2018, Andy wrote Diego in prison asking to meet with him. And Diego agreed. I could not do that.
0: I don't think I could do that.
1: You can watch their encounter in that documentary, Adrian, on Max. Mm-hmm. Andy shows Diego pictures of Adrian, pictures of them, pictures with Sophie. He makes him look at each one. Mm -hmm. It is heart-wrenching. He also makes Diego tell him exactly what happened that day in Mm -hmm. 2006. Diego would go to whichever construction job he was assigned to, and on November 1st, he happened to be sent to 15 Abingdon Square, Adrian's building. Mm -hmm. He was looking for apartments in the building to rob, and he made his way to number 47. He said he put his ear to the door to hear if anyone was inside, and the door just popped open. It apparently wasn't locked. Mm -hmm. He saw a purse sitting on the table right there in the living room, I guess, so he took out money from her wallet, he put the purse back, and Adrian heard this from the room she was working in, so she went out and caught him and said she was going to call the police. He could have just dropped the money right there and run away, but he didn't. Diego told Andy. He then got behind her and covered her mouth and told her not to call the police. He said he just lost it at that point and started choking her with his bare hands. I mean, this really, it was like a switch flipped. It was so sudden. It's
2: terrifying.
1: He doesn't say how long he had his hands around her neck, but said that when he let her go, her lips were blue. He thought to himself, I killed her. So he then took her into the bathroom and hung her to make it look like a suicide. Diego is currently serving his sentence at the Coxsackie Correctional Facility in Coxsackie, Green County, New York. His earliest possible release date is April 6, 2028, in just four and a half years. Fuck. His sentence expires on November 4, 2031. Regardless of when he is released, he will be deported back to Ecuador. Which makes the crime seem that much more senseless because he acted out of fear of being sent back and because of his crime.
0: He's being sent back.
1: Exactly. Two months after Adrian was murdered, Waitress premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Andy actually carried a vial of her ashes with him because he wanted her to be a part of it.
0: That's really sweet.
1: And one morning while he was there, he got up early and went to the top of the hill where the festival is, and he walked down the middle of the road, tossing her ashes up into the air. And then later at the screening, he was standing in the theater, and he threw a bit of her ashes up, and right as he did, Harvey motherfucking Weinstein walked past, and some of her ashes landed on his shoulder. Andy said Adrian would have thought that was hilarious. Oh God. <laughs> Waitress was the darling of the film festival. God. It went on to Garn. <laughs> that was Kevin yawning and talking at the same time.
0: I'm sorry. I, it happened simultaneously. <laughs>
1: It went on to garner multiple nominations and wins at various festivals. And in 2016, Waitress the Musical opened on Broadway, oh. boasting the first ever all female creative team yes. for a Broadway musical. I remember that when it came out. It Have received, you seen it? I haven't. Kate. I know. I know.
0: Oh my God. I saw the tour when it came through Chicago. Oh,
1: nice. It received multiple Tony Award nominations, including for Best Musical, along with several Drama Desk Award nominations. Waitress was Adrian's love letter to her daughter. Yeah. And the documentary I've been referencing is Andy's love letter to his daughter and to, to Adrian. Adrian. He directed it. Oh,
0: that's beautiful.
1: He has worked hard to keep Adrian's memory alive. Yeah. Soon after her death, he established the Adrian Shelley Foundation, a nonprofit organization with one mission to support women filmmakers. Oh,
0: that's great.
1: The foundation helped fund Cynthia Wade's documentary Freeheld, which won an Oscar in 2008 for Best Documentary Short Subject. Holy
0: fuck. Good for him. Her film And won- her.
1: Her film won several other awards at multiple festivals, including Sundance. Oscar winner Chloe Zhao received a grant early in her career when she was making her first feature-length film. She said, quote, I was the recipient of the 2012 Adrian Shelley Foundation Fellowship through the Sundance Institute. ASF's grant came at a critical time in my career when I was developing my first feature. The foundation continues to be an incredible resource, an important source of funding for women filmmakers. It's pretty incredible to see all the ways in which Adrian impacted the industry. I'll include a link in our show notes to, yeah. the, to the foundation's donation I page. I want to see,
0: I want to look, I want, that's interesting to me. I want to look up yeah. more about that.
1: If you've got the means, consider throwing them Making your support. Donation, yeah. They're doing amazing stuff. The Women Film Critics Circle established the Adrian Shelley Award, which is given out every year to the film that most passionately opposes violence against women. Good. Waitress is available, I believe, on Prime Video. And if you're like me and have not gotten to see Waitress the Musical, guess what? (sighs) They filmed the Broadway production starring Sarah Bareilles back in 2021, and it's scheduled to hit movie theaters this December. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Adrienne Shelley was just 40 years old when she was killed.
0: No. The same age as her her father. father.
1: But she wouldn't want her loved ones to be consumed no. by her death. In her journal, she once wrote, quote, When loss, the fear of it as well as the truth of it, runs your life, there's not much room in your life for other things, mm-hmm. like love. Being human means being at the mercy of the unthinkable. Mm-hmm. It also means having the capacity for great courage and even greater magic. Mm. That's it, Misfits. Fitz. <gasps>
0: Kate that was a beautiful story I mean how you told that was beautiful like it's it's awful what happened to her of course and I feel like this is one of those things that surrounds that movie Mm -hmm. and that musical and that story it's like oh did you know that the act like the lead one of the actresses in this movie was murdered and it sort of becomes this weird like ooh strange like legend around a movie but
1: but what's interesting is that her death had nothing to do with the success of it.
0: It didn't. No, because it hadn't even cleared Sundance yet.
1: Sundance had already accepted the film. They mm-hmm. just hadn't sent out their notifications. The notifications, right. And so already it was recognized. And then the musical that you know comes out 10 years later, they're not going to just make a musical because of her, what happened to her. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was up. Hitty, no, of know? course
0: not. It's I mean that story sta- is so strong exactly. and beautiful. She's yeah.
1: such a strong storyteller yeah. and with an amazing vision and voice for women. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's sad that we don't get to see what else she could have created. No,
0: but it, I mean at least she gave us something that's gonna go ne- that is like part of movie history. You exactly, know, you know? and
1: it's still living on. It's still living on absolutely. in different forms. So. Pretty amazing. So what an impact. I'm glad she
0: got to create something so powerful. You Absolutely.
1: Know? And, and let, what a loss. Oh, Sorry, what a loss. Yeah. I will say her daughter Sophie has a lot of her in her. Like when you watch that documentary. Oh, yeah. Oh, I want to watch it. She looks like her. She yeah. kind of sounds like her. She's an adult now. I mean, sure. she just seems like an awesome, awesome young woman. And Andy, who has been the voice for Adrian mm-hmm. all these past years and like keeping her memory alive. It's a really beautiful family and it's nice to see that her impact has helped so many other women. That's right. exactly what she would want.
0: Want. Exactly.
1: Let us know what you thought, Misfits. Oh, you Ms. can Fits. leave us a comment on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at...
0: Horrorwood Podcast.
1: Or shoot us an email at...
0: Horrorwood Podcast at gmail.com.
1: And if you're feeling so inclined, you can throw a little change our way at...
0: Patreon.com slash
1: horror... Is that your Dracula voice? It is. I like it. Thank
0: you. Uh, My name is Baby Dracula. That's my (laughs) drag name. I like it. Um, Also, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.
1: Rate, review, and subscribe. I've always wanted to say
0: that. Rate, review, and subscribe. (laughs) And you clink. There's like a ding.
1: ding. (laughs) Uh, We did it. We did it.
0: Bye.